What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Hello there, everyone. Judge Andrew Napolitano here with Judging Freedom. Today is uh, Thursday, February uh, 23rd, 24th. 2022. It's about 125 in the afternoon. Uh, we are speaking today with Scott Horton of antiwar.com. I mean, who better to talk to about the dangers of war and the dangers of the response to war? Uh, Scott, it's always a pleasure to have you on. We This is our, our second um, judging freedom of the day. We had uh, Alex Jones on uh, earlier today, who I suspect agrees with you and me uh, on what should be the appropriate, uh, if any, response on the part of the American government. But let's start with uh, where the war is today and where Putin's troops are, as far as your sources uh, are telling you. Hmm. Well, I have to admit, I'm not up on all the very latest of the troop movements and everything as of this morning. Um, but I guess, you know, as we're recording this, we're about half a day into a full-scale invasion of Ukraine by Russia. And I don't know if they're going all the way to Romania and seizing the entire west of the country as well. Um, they're certainly on the outskirts of Kiev. And I saw reports last night that they were landing troops in Odessa. I don't know if that's really true, but that would be a huge prize if, as long as they're invading and conquering the entire east of the country, east of the Dnieper River. I think that it's you know highly likely that they'll go ahead and also seize the very important city of Odessa. And then, you know, I believe, Judge, that one of the reasons that Putin did not seize the Donbass or, you know, incorporate the Donbass into the Russian Federation back in 2015 when they asked to join was because he didn't want to tip the balance in Ukraine in favor of his opposition. Here he has half the population lean pro-Russia. So if he removes a significant portion of that population and makes them into literal Russians, he's now diminishing his own influence inside Ukraine, this important country on his doorstep, and giving the advantage to his opponents there. Well, I fear that that's some of the same calculation that he's making here. Well, if I'm going to take the Donbass, I'm weakening pro-Russian type factions uh, position, which they've been on the outs, obviously, since the coup of 2014 anyway, but at least there's right. a potential for their power and influence to be exercised in the future there, but essentially got tired of waiting for that possibility. And so, but then that means once he seizes the Donbass, then he goes, okay, well, I guess I'll go ahead and go all the way to the Dnieper River or to Odessa. But now what's he going to do? Leave a rump state of Ukraine that's completely dominated by ethnic Ukrainians and Ukrainian speakers with virtually no Russian speakers or ethnic Russians involved in the government at all, and even have, you know, very far right nationalists and even Nazis essentially, you know, in a stronger position than before. So now 
He's got to preempt that danger by just going ahead and conquering the West, too. In other words, Putin's invasion of Ukraine is a government program and it keeps expanding, you know, um, because yeah. he keeps he keeps creating more problems for himself that then he has to. So what, uh, what does he do? By doing worse. What does he do with Ukraine once he's uh, chased the government out uh, and occupied it? Yeah, great question. I mean, I think especially in the west of the country, there's almost certain to be insurgency there. I don't know how effective it will be. Um, I don't know about in the in the east of the country. Um, obviously, just because people speak Russian doesn't mean they want to be invaded and conquered by another country. It's far more complicated than that. Okay, and, so um, what what should uh, President Biden be doing? Do you uh, applaud sanctions? Uh, no. Or are they essentially uh, toothless? Is he essentially immune to them? Do we need to, for example, unleash uh, American energy sources to compete with him and sell energy cheaper than he does? That might bankrupt the Russian state. Sure. You know, I, I really don't know. Um, it's a real tough position that they put us in now. And I mean, they on the American and Western side, but the Russians as well, that, you know, back in 1992, everybody should have just listened to Pat Buchanan and abolish NATO. And we wouldn't have this problem at all. Now, not only did they not abolish it, but they expanded it right up to Russia's doorstep. So now 30 years later, they're not going to abolish it with a gun to their head. Right. But it right. was their provocation, essentially, that quote unquote justified. I'm not saying uh, morally justified, but I'm just saying became the justification for the action that uh, Putin is taking now. So how do they back down? I mean, I would like to see like a vote of no confidence in America's foreign policy establishment, which no, how, no matter how you slice it, bears some huge responsibility. for. This. Oh, sure. I mean, um, the, if, the if only CIA. not preventing it in the first place. And the CIA then, fomented the uh, the coup of 2014. Sure, because the popularly elected uh, Ukrainian government was not pro NATO, pro Western enough for them. That's right, and it was this same people, the same group of people in power, other than Obama himself. It was Joe Biden and Jake Sullivan and Antony Blinken and Victoria Newland were the ones who did that, and they're right. the same ones who are driving the car right now again. Right. Um, right. And um, so. I mean, essentially what we would need, Judge, right? Like, you know, perfect world would be these people all resign and Rand Paul becomes the president and just says, <laughs> listen, none of this was my fault. I do not, you know, uh, happily inherit the legacy of W. Bush and Obama and Trump and Biden on this. It's a new day and it's out of respect, but not fear for just the facts that H.W. Bush did promise we would not expand NATO. We shouldn't have expanded NATO. In fact, we'll start by recognizing that Russia actually, not because of any threat, but just because it's right, that they have a good point that Bill Clinton promised, okay, fine, we'll expand NATO, but we promise not to move our military equipment into the new NATO members in Eastern Europe. And then they broke that promise. Right, you know what, maybe right. we should abide by that promise. These right. are reasonable things that, you know, Jack Kennedy cut out the entire State Department and he sent his brother, the attorney general, to meet in secret with the Russians and promise to remove the missiles from Turkey. He said, listen, this business is too important to let a bunch of stupid politics get in the way. He had his he had the, his attorney general 
secretly negotiate right, a solution right. to the Cuban right. Missile Crisis. Right. Because so big, business big is business. And if the State Department isn't up to it, we've got to do what we've got to do to end this thing, to nip this thing in the bud right here and not let it progress further. Well, how do we nip it in the bud? You know, war war is the health of the state. The government loves to have a demon. For two years, the demon was COVID. Now, now the demon is Putin. I mean, the That's government true. demonizes him with the exception of smaller outlets. The media demonizes him. He, his background as a KGB agent, his background as a killer, not supporting what he does. I don't like him and I don't yeah. trust him. But is what he's done in the past 48 hours a threat to the national security of the United States of America? It, I submit it is not. Yeah, I mean, it depends on how you define it. And in D.C., they define it as broadly as they can. You know, America's, they don't even say vital interests anymore, just interests, which could mean anything. I mean, you know, Rand Paul, speaking of Rand Paul, he gave a speech where I think he's really onto something here. Where And this is only one of the factors, and he said so too. But he said, listen, I don't think it's a coincidence that some of the loudest politicians in the Congress on this issue, <clears throat> his friend Ted Cruz, are from states that export natural gas. And they want to disrupt the pipeline between Russia and Germany because for, for essentially personal reasons, the profit of just certain companies Never even mind the state of Texas or the nation state of the USA at all, but just some companies will get to make some money selling natural gas to Germany if they can't buy it from Russia. And right, how so Rand Paul says it, he calls it mercantilism and says that this is a huge, you know, disruption and perverse incentive in our policy here that should I, not be I part of the debate at Rand all. Paul. I agree with Rand Paul, but I want to know what you would tell Joe Biden if he called you up this afternoon and said, what should I do? Well, he's speaking right now, actually, my peripheral vision here, and he looks mad as hell. Uh, I would, he should say, this is partially my fault, and I accept that. Me, and in, in the Obama government, we really did push hard for a regime change there, and it did not work out. And so, you know, I'm man enough to admit that, I'm man enough to admit that uh, Putin, despite whatever anybody thinks of him, he does have some real points about his security concerns. And frankly, they're security concerns that we can allay. You know, I just judge uh, an hour ago, I spoke to Joe Serencioni, the nuclear weapons expert, about how the anti-missile systems, the anti-ballistic missile, you know, missile defense systems that Bush proposed and Obama installed in Romania and Poland, they don't work at all. They don't work. They're completely useless. The whole thing is a boondoggle. And yet, from the point of view of Vladimir Putin, he has to act as though they work. He has to believe that they might work. And that here America's changing the entire um, setup of mutually assured destruction and tipping the balance toward a first strike in our favor. And from the Oliver Stone interviews with Putin, Oliver Stone says to Putin, he goes, come on, you know, this is just a boondoggle for corporate America. You know how it is. They don't work. And, and Putin, Putin I'm paraphrasing, says, come on, Oliver Stone. I know that's true, but I'm the head of security around here, man. What am I supposed to do? You ring my country with anti-missile missiles. I have to make better missiles, don't I? And All that's right, exactly so what he did, judges. In 2018, debuted an entire new array of nuclear weapons to counteract the fact 
that W. Bush tore up the anti-ballistic missile treaty and he and Obama installed these anti-missile missiles in Romania and Poland. And judge, they don't even work. We're 20 years into this crisis of this escalation in, in nuclear brinksmanship. And the whole thing is just, as Oliver Stone said, just a boondoggle, is just this, a ripoff. Is this just the tip of the iceberg? Is the President Xi going to do something with Taiwan? Is the crazy supreme leader in North Korea going to do something, obviously with the Chinese consent, in South Korea? Or is this just uh, Vladimir Putin deciding, I'm 69 years old, I can't have this job forever, it's time for my legacy, and this is it. I'll give you the last word. Yeah, well, I sure hope that nothing happens in the East. It's definitely right that if the Chinese were going to do it, now's probably their chance. Um, and I would say, as far okay, last word, I mean, that's our absolute worst case scenario. But even if that happened, and China did conquer Taiwan. America sh should stay out of that too. We do not have a treaty alliance with Taiwan. 50 years ago, Nixon recognized that Taiwan is a part of China. It is one country. Eventually they'll be reunited. We want them to be reunited peacefully, but this is not the same as if they invaded Japan or South Korea or Australia or a foreign nation. This is more like if they really cracked down on their sovereignty in Hong Kong or in Tibet or in Xinjiang. It's, it's bad and you don't have to like it, but it is their sphere of influence. It's not ours. And the, the real question comes down to, are you willing to trade Los Angeles for Taipei in a war where we lose Taipei anyway, right? Got if it. we fight a war with China over Taiwan, we lose Taiwan anyway. The question is whether we also lose American cities to thermonuclear devices in retaliation. And the answer to that should just be tough luck to you guys. Sorry. Sorry. Scott Horton, our go-to guy on war. Sorry, we have to come to you, but thanks for your, uh, thanks for your time. Judge Napolitano. Thank you, Judge. Judging freedom.